Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, what I'd like to start with first is out of the big book, and it's in the back of the big book. It's also in other places that uh, I like to use the big book a lot, and it's on, it starts on page 561, and especially with this tradition, I'd like to read this introduction to the traditions one more time, and it says, to those now in its fold, Alcoholics Anonymous has made the difference between misery and sobriety, often the difference between life and death. AA can, of course, mean just as much to uncounted alcoholics not yet reached. Therefore, no society of men and women ever had a more urgent need for continuous effectiveness and permanent unity. We alcoholics see that we must work together and hang together, else most of us will finally die alone. The 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous are, we AAs believe, the best answers that our experience has yet given to those ever-urgent questions. How can AA best function? And how can AA best stay whole and so survive? On the next page, AA's 12 traditions are seen in their so-called short form, the form in general used today. This is, this is a condensed version of the original long form, AA traditions as first printed in 1946. Because the long form is more explicit and of possible historic value, it is also reproduced. And for everybody else that's on here that doesn't have to be an AA, um, AA has given it uh, permission to over 300 fellowships now uh, to use the traditions and the and the and the steps and any just about anything they want to use out of the program because uh, I guess AA saw that this was given by God, not created by us, and uh, so many people do receive help. And so I know that you can just uh, substitute whatever fellowship you're in. You can substitute that right into these traditions. So we're on Tradition 12 today, and in the short form, it's anonymity is a spiritual foundation of of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Now, I like the the long form, really, a lot, all the time. I like them all, but the long form is really good. And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personality. They were, we are actually to practice a genuine humility. That is to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, and we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. And um, on this, this tradition itself, um, I've had a lot of uh, different experiences with it, and uh, I've got to witness just about everything that's been said in the big book, uh, not firsthand, but other examples of it. And uh, I've watched how we have been threatened a few times, and fortunately it's only been for the short term, uh, because normally people will back up, or we as a fellowship, or fellowships back up and and, uh, take another look at things. But this is the, the thing that really 
really impresses me that anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions. And in going through all these traditions, we've seen that, where anonymity is so, so important. Because I know that we would have destroyed this thing had we uh, done some of the things that we wanted to. I'm going to be in next in the 12 and 12, on page 184. And uh, I'm going to hit a few highlight things here. <clears throat> and uh, the first one is on page 184 at the top. The spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. Um, as the traditions ask us to give up personal desires for the common good. Uh, we, that the, the sacrificial spirit, well symbolized by anonymity, is the foundation of them all. It is AA's true willingness to make these sacrifices that gives people their high confidence in our future. And that really has been an amazing thing, that the fact that we were wanting to be anonymous, the, the people who started this out, and, and they're, you know, asking for anonymity and not wanting to jump into the front, you know, um, there's been a few throughout that, that wanted to jump to the front, Bill included. And, uh, but that, it was that, that anonymity that really impressed a lot of the media. Just, uh, it, it, it was unbelievable for them that we would choose to do that. And, um, right up front, there's a, I want to say that there is a talk by, by Bill W. on the tradition that is available from the General Service Office, I know. Uh, it used to be the first time I was showing it when I was a trusted servant for the area. I was showing it on a 16 millimeter reel, and then later on we got it on on uh, cassette tapes, and then later on we came out on a on a VCR. And today I'm sure it's on a DVD or CDs, whichever you want. And it's Bill talking about the tradition. If you happen to get the video style, it is Bill standing sitting in front of a, a group. And he's talking to them about the traditions. And if you may be amazed like I was to see that it was largely women in that crowd. And then I realized he must have pulled them all out of the office to make it look bigger. But uh, I'll tell you what, that talk by Bill W. there so impressed me. The first time I heard it was on cassette tape. And I couldn't believe what his the, that he was given the foresight to see what could happen when Time Magazine offered him front page and they wanted to put his picture on there with his head turned partly away. And Bill had to contemplate this for quite some time before he answered them. And when he went back to them, he said, I can't do this. Because he knew that if he did this, and they had his story in there with his head on there turned partially away, that pretty soon there would be people on there with their face straight at the, at the, the cover for everybody to see and making all kinds of statements in there in print. And uh, he saw that that would be a great danger, and he had to turn that down because he knew that. And this is the this is the part that so impressed me. He knew full well that if he did this piece in Time Magazine, that thousands were going to come in right away. They would see this and read this, and families and individuals would would help these people get in, and that they would come right away. But he was looking at the long term, not the thing right away. And at the, in the long term, and I, I mean, this really impressed me that he knew that this was going to be our demise. It was going to be the thing that tore us up and could, could cause an end to AA. And so he had to turn it down. And, you know, I always like to call Bill a power monger, power monger, egomaniac like me. And, 
for him to turn that down, knowing full well the thousands that could be saved, but in the long run, it, it would cost us AA, it would cost the program, and then millions would never be touched by it. And I thought that was a, a, a great thing, and I, I've kept that in my mind ever since. Um, so I just, um, you can order those from GSO, like I said, and it's very, very impressive to listen to. Um, also, here on page 184, it says, uh, first name, first, the first nameless groups of alcoholics anonymous were secret societies. New prospects could find us only through a few trusted friends. Um, the bare hint of publicity, even for our work, shocked us. And I'll, I'll have to say that uh, it's gotten to a few cities now in this day and age. I know of a couple of towns where they've gone back underground because they've been inundated with uh, folks coming from uh, different treatment centers that are trained to re, you know, respond in a certain way and talk about all kinds of things, and they want to just identify with alcoholics, alcoholism. And... You know, for whatever reason, they've chosen to go underground rather than dealing with it on a daily basis. And that's a sad thing to see. And, and I think we really have to, to do it, uh, do our best to educate the people in our fellowships that we need to be reaching out and doing it in the correct way and helping folks to find us and be with us and not uh, compromising um, our, our programs or what, what the essence of our program is. Um, I know that it gets very difficult, but I know that this was given to us for a reason, and I believe it's to help to help a lot of people in mankind. And um, I think passing this on is extremely important. But we need to also make sure that we don't just sit back and and uh, in the in the name of love and tolerance, we we just sit there and keep our mouths shut no matter what goes on. And sometimes we, as as people who have been here a little while, Sometimes you end up having to say a few things that people may not like, uh, but if we do it in the correct manner, love and tolerance can be done very well and, and help people to understand what this is all about and by helping them learn our history. And, and by the way, I want to make sure I thank all of you today who are on this call for taking the time to, to do a tradition study and possibly, uh, you know, I'd really recommend later on getting into the concepts but studying our history and passing that on, that's one of the great weaknesses I watch in today, that so many people don't have a clue what the history is about and about our traditions and our concepts. And these are the things that help protect AA from folks like me, and as Bill said, from him. Uh, it really tries to keep us uh, at a, on, a, on a plane of trying to help people, which is what the 12-step calls for, you know, having had a spiritual waking and the result of these steps we carry this message and to whatever the fellowship we belong. Um, it says down here on the bottom of 184, too, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's forward making this reviewing statement. It's important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry on our occupations in such an event. And it says there that it's really easy to read between the lines and see that there was a lot of fear and uh, that people might break our anonymity wide open. And there was a lot of fears in that. And as time passed on and, and more experience was gathered and uh, we started establishing some of these traditions 
continue to think great out. You know, with cooperation of the media and other people, we had opportunities to change some of that some of that thought process. Um, one of the things that's really important, I believe, and and this is my understanding of it, is that within the group, it's so so important that we protect uh, people's anonymity. Um, a lot of the stuff that's said in there is is meant to stay in there. It isn't meant to be taken out. And as a sponsor, when people come to me and tell, talk to me about things like the guy did today, talked about some very intimate and, and stuff, some stuff that was really tough for him, that stays within my head. It does not come out unless I'm speaking with him. If he wants that stuff to be known somewhere else or any of the people I've ever sponsored, that's up to them to do that, not me. I don't get. I don't even care if they're dead. There's such a thing as posthumous anonymity. And we have to honor that, just like for Bill and W. Bill W. and Bob, I should say. Excuse me. That they that we have to honor their anonymity instead of breaking it just because they're dead. That does not give us the the right to do that. And it'll come up here later in this uh, in this. Uh, in fact, in the next paragraph. Um. You know, when, when we talk about that stuff and it gets into circulation, then also people on the outside are going to view that we break anonymity and it's going to cause them to have less faith in us and the fact that we can help people. Um, but down there, it's, um, it's turned people away from us. And clearly, every EA member's name, the story too, had to be confidential if he wished. And in the and an, an AA comes of age, that's in italics, if he wished. That's up to the person to break their anonymity. And I even found, this was taught to me when I first came into AA, that I have to be careful when I break my anonymity because if there's somebody there with me or people who are around me and I break my anonymity, I can actually break theirs by doing that. So I have to really use some, I have to give it some forethought to when I do that. And there's times when it's, it's, it's applicable and there's times when I have to refrain. Um, and and stick to what I've been taught in this program, and um, especially if it's we start dealing at the public level. Um, just here's a short thing that I, I, a couple of things that I did that really didn't speak well for my knowledge of what this program's all about. <clears throat> the first time I ever got any kind of an education on how how important it is to respect the anonymity of what people say in those meetings. I was doing, I was going to a meeting and it was a bunch of us people that had just gotten out of this center. And in that, I had, earlier in that week, I had, I had uh, driven past my ex-wife's house and I saw that her lawn was growing up and the grass was about two feet tall and her present husband and her were over in Germany visiting their family. And I thought, you know, I really did him some dirt. And I wasn't thinking about my ex-wife. I really did her present husband some really bad stuff at the end of my drinking. I thought, I'm going to mow that lawn for him so it's done when he comes back and nobody will know who did it. I'll just go there and mow it and get out of there. Well, had I been a little bit more uh, informed as to what anonymity meant, I wouldn't have done what I did next. I went back to the group and told them what I had done. There's me, again, I need the pat on the back. I don't care who it comes from, but I had to have somebody know that I did this great deed. The old-timers told me later, what that means is you do something for somebody and you keep it to yourself. You don't tell anybody. And uh, I learned that because somebody in that meeting went and talked to the gal that I was with and told her that I went up and married, or married, mowed my ex-wife's lawn. And boy, I tell you what, it really hit the fan. And because of all that, I learned 
you know, I'm talking to my sponsor, I learned that I just need to keep my mouth shut when I do that stuff. And when I do good deeds, just keep them to myself. I don't need publicity. I don't need the slap on the back. And that, those were some of the lessons that I learned um, early on. And uh, boy, I tell you what, they they come hard, but they do they do really help us. Um, on the next page, on page one eighty five, um, it says there um, towards the bottom, they had changed from AA members into AA show offs. That's when people get so excited when they first come in, whatever fellowship it is. We can get so excited about doing this and trying to grab people and, and that like and we at the first the first flush of getting well, we 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 just run out and grab anybody and start talking to them and we throw our name around and we just I mean it's like we want to start shouting it from the rooftops because we're so glad we're not causing damage or being hauled in by the cops anymore. And we had to learn that, you know, we can't be um into the AA show offs either. Because then people are still looking at you when you do something wrong. And as many of you know, we've watched many members from many of the fellowships out in the public eye, on television and wherever, where they start spouting what they know and all this and how well they are. And then a short while later, all you do is you read about them in the uh, Inquirer, I guess it is, and and a few of those magazines, plus you see it all over the the television. And that's, that's where we can really cause harm. And, and trying to reel that in, uh, but we do feel like we, we are great crusaders. There's ways to do that within the service structure of the fellowships and to reach out and help people. But one of them isn't for us to stand up and have our face all over the place and trying to get uh, great recognition. <clears throat> I got one other that I did, and this was very easy to do. Um, I was... Uh, uh, it was, I, in fact, it wasn't me. There was another guy, which is even a better example. We had a, a, a public information uh, deal for the professional community, and, every, and there was a bunch of people at it. We had a couple people there to tell their short version of their story, and uh, we had a bunch of uh, professionals there. And, and then there was two people that are very well-known in AA that were there, and one gave the history of AA, and it was a fantastic job. And this person really did a really good job no foul language, uh, really laid out the, the basics of AA and how it started and where it had gone and all of these things, and it was really good. And the next person got up and was supposed to give a talk on anonymity, and the first thing he did was introduce himself with his full name to all these people. And, and I was in the back of the room, and I almost went, ha, ha, and, but nobody else did. And they all missed the fact that he's giving a talk on anonymity in front of these professionals, and he broke his own anonymity. And boy, I'll tell you what, that jerked me up short that I had to be very careful that I don't do the same thing. And anytime I have the opportunity to speak and it's recorded, I don't give my last name on those. I, if anybody wants my name, they can talk to me after the, the recorder's off and I'll tell them what my last name is. But I just don't do it. Uh, I don't have any say so over where those, uh, recordings go. Um, the stuff that we print about our program. Uh, you know, from our areas or intergroups or wherever, you have to be very careful that we don't use a lot of first names there because we don't know which church they're going to show up on the bulletin board of. These are the things where we really have to remain anonymous, not just for our good, but for the good of the people who are coming in. Uh, one more place that I've had some experience with this that was, I think, is not a good thing that we have done is 
in our public service announcements, uh, we they have chosen to start putting full face on pictures in the public service announcement. And if you're watching it and you're, you're really paying attention, you'll notice that there's a disclaimer at the start to say that these are just movie actors. They're not real AA. And before it used to be AA members, but the faces were either blurred or their heads were turned away, and there was never any anything that was recognizable on them. Well, I know for a fact that I've had people come into me and say that they saw the PSA at 3 or 4 in the morning, and that encouraged them to come to AA. But the people we're trying to reach are the people who are still drunk or acting out or whatever, and they're not reading the disclaimers because they're small and they're very fast. What they're seeing is what's presented on there, and they're going to think, oh, my word, if I go in there, then I'm going to end up on television. The last thing I want, and I think we can actually do harm by showing that, and it, I, I believe that's not a good way for us to go, and I hope that that can be corrected in the near future, that we get away from that. Um, and then it says here, how anonymous, at the bottom of page 185, how anonymous should an AA member be? And it says, our, our growth made it plain that we couldn't be a sacred society, but it was equally plain that we couldn't be a vaudeville circuit either. Um, and charting this safe path between the extremes took a long time, and I and I really am so thankful to the the, the old timers and, and our pioneers that the stuff that they laid out in all the fellowships is helping us to to make sure that we do this in a manner that's attractive to not just us but to the public, and. Uh, it, I think it's a good way to do it. And there's people that, you know, we can tell certain people that we work with and stuff like that that we're in the program. And on page 186, it says, these quiet disclosures help him to lose his fear of alcoholic stigma. And it also helps others to see that you're doing different. I don't have to tell them that I'm doing different. I, they can just watch. And if I do, if I behave in a very good manner, what this, what this program has taught me how to do, people actually see it. And... Uh, one good example of that is I had a guy, a police officer, come up to the treatment center I was in and take my statement for what the thing I'd done that the police were all looking for me for. And I said, just leave me in here till it's over with, and then you can do whatever you want with me. And this guy really kept his eye on me, and he, he agreed to that, and they let me go through the treatment center, and then I had to face the judge, and I faced the judge, and I just got a year's probation. I didn't go away. And uh, two years later, this guy came to me, and asked me to help his sister. Because he was watching the way I was living and the things that I was doing, which were very contrary to the way I had been living. And so I went and I, and I talked with her, and I took some gals over there, and we got her hooked up with some gals. And, I mean, for a police officer to come to me, was he just they came after me a lot of times. But this time they just came to me and asked me for that. And I was so grateful for what this program had done already the major changes that it was making in what I did. Um, it says, though not in the strict letter of anonymity, such communications were well within its spirit. And that's when, you know, a new man um, and woman that come to you because there's of these such conversations that we have with other people and they hear us talking and, and around people that knew us in the community, people that might ask. Um, but we have to do this in a very, it's a very close thing. It's not way out into the public and we're not shouting from the rooftops or putting up a sign on the corner and hollering. Um, it became apparent that the word of mouth method was too limited. 
sound scary. And um, because uh, they have to reach as many alcoholics as we could, but there's a lot of people who are so scared of being completely inundated with all the calls of people reaching out to us and um, that we wouldn't be able to handle it. Um, so we, we had to look at some different ways of doing it, and thank God for our pioneers that they found some ways to do it. And uh, they started having open meetings, and that's in about the middle of the page, on page 186. I really want to talk about that a little bit, but um, it says, Consequently, many groups began to hold meetings that were open to interested friends and the public, and uh, so that the average citizen could see for himself just what AA was all about. The response to these meetings was warmly sympathetic. Soon groups began to receive requests for AA speakers and all kinds of things started happening. But one of the things that is so important with that is that it's an open meeting. Everybody needs to know that it's open. It's, it's put on a flyer, you know, it's advertised that it's going to be open for those who don't want to be in an open meeting, AA members or whatever fellowship you're with. But also, it doesn't say that they have the right to talk or speak in there. That's a group conscience decision, I know, in AA, whether they can talk or not. But uh, when people come to an open meeting, it's not for people to talk about everything in the world. It's actually, as it says in here, it was an informational meeting so that people could see what AA was and what it was about. It was a place for loved ones to come and see if this was what would work for their loved one or for their child or, you know, whichever, the spouse, parents or whatever. It was for them to see this. And we've also had doctors and, and psychiatrists and people come to those meetings to see what AA was all about. And this can be a very informative thing, but everybody has to be informed. Everybody has to know what they're doing. Uh, and it can be a very good thing. But some of that has been lost along the way, and people just say in open meetings, no, anybody can attend, talk about whatever they want. I think uh, that's, that's a, not a good interpretation of anonymity. Um it says for, um, and speaking at, at churches in different places, medical societies, it says provided anonymity was, main, anonymity was maintained on these platforms and reporters present were cautioned against use of names or pictures, the result was fine. And I've had that opportunity to <clears throat> to speak at churches and a few, several other places and uh, maintaining anonymity. Anonymity was very important and it was amazing how the media treated us for so many years and respected the, the AA community and, and Al-Anon, and, and I, it was something that was really something to behold. I don't believe the press is quite as uh, respectful today. There are some that are, but there are some that are out there to catch any kind of uh, scent of blood and put it on the front page or in the news, and we have to be very careful of that. Um, first first major um, publicity excursions were with the Plain Dealer. Um, ran about the town's membership from a changing from a few hundred overnight. It, it, when they when they put it out there, it grew fast. Uh, Mr. Rockefeller's dinner caused people to, to call in. Jack Alexander's famous Saturday Evening Post piece was just instrumental in it, uh, really fast growth. And these were brought about without breaking anonymity and going crazy. They were just reporting on what AA was about. Um, but other newspapers and magazines wanted AA stories. Film companies wanted to photograph us. Um, radio and finally television besieged us with requests for appearances. What should we do? 
And then um, the thing that I know that if any of you watched any of the movies, uh, Days of Wine and Roses, if you'll notice at the very end of Days of Wine and Roses, uh, there's credit given to Alcoholics Anonymous World Services. Uh, and and then also at the end of uh, Lost Weekend with Ray Millen, there was uh, there was credit given to Alcoholics Anonymous at the end of that. And I think we can get into dangerous territory with those type of things. I don't believe we've been doing that in quite some time. Um, <clears throat> all public approval swept in. We realized that it could do us incalculable good or great harm. And that's the thing we always have to weigh out. And one of the things that's so important, and it's a, I, I started saying this several years ago, and I have a few friends that quote me, and that is that speed kills. We can get in such a hurry because we see something that looks really good and we really want to reach out and do things fast, that speed does kill, and it can kill in our fellowships. And we have to be very careful what we do, and that's why sometimes it can be almost uh, irritating at how slow things can move. But we need to weigh out all the options and look at where we're going because it may sound really good up front, but in the long run, is it going to be good? Is it going to adhere to our anonymity and help ensure the, the fellowships and people's uh, freedom to come into these things? One of the places that I think gets lost in the shuffle a lot is the people coming to AA for the first time have to really feel that they're anonymous that they don't have to worry about their last name being out or their name being out or they're not shoved out in front of everybody and that there's not reporters standing at the door taking pictures. That, those are the things that I think are extremely important because if we lose the general public's faith in our anonymity, we're going to lose a lot of people who might have reached out for help. Um, the other part is the promoter instinct in us might be our undoing. If even one publicly got drunk or was lured into using A's name for his own purpose, the damage might be irreparable. At this altitude, and I love that term, at this altitude, press, radio, films, and television, anonymity, 100% anonymity, was the only possible answer. And, I, and here, principles would have to come before personality, without exception. And I believe that so strongly today that we have to find the best way possible to reach out to people and let them know that the fellowship's there and what it does. But that doesn't mean we have to break anonymity. And there's ways to do it. We just have to sit back, take our time, and make sure that we take good, sure steps that are going to ensure this fellowship for the millions. I, I think about all those who aren't even born yet that are on their way, that this needs to be there for. I have some grandchildren now, thanks to my third wife, and uh, these grandchildren, I. I know that there's a couple of them that have tendencies that look a little bit like mine, and I want I want AA to be there for them just like it was there for me when I walked through the door. And like my sponsor says, the door was open, the book was open, and the coffee was on when he showed up, and I feel that's a real responsibility that we need to make sure that that's a safe haven for people to get well. Whatever the fellowship, it has to be a safe haven for them to get well, men or women, they need to be able to come in there and have a real safe place and they feel safe. And they can identify with the people who are sitting in that room, whatever the fellowship. Um, down in the, in the next paragraph on the 187, 
says anonymity is real humility at work. And I, boy, that is, I've humiliated myself. And something that I was taught way back, my old timer says, you know, if you have real humility, you can't be humiliated. And that took me quite a while to ponder that. But then I realized that, yeah, the person who's got real humility wouldn't be able to be humiliated because they're they're not sticking their neck out and jamming their head out in the public and in front of everybody. Their their ego is, is within check. Um, it says, uh, moved by the spirit of anonymity, we try to give up our natural desires for personal distinction as AA members, both among fellow alcoholics and before the general public. And that is so important, too, within within our fellowship and without the fellowship. It needs to be, we need to really step away from that and try not to have different classes of people. And and uh, one of the things that I hear is speaker circuit, and it, it almost drives me crazy. Because I, I hate to think of people being in a certain class. You know, some people are asked to speak at different places, but I think that's possible, too. Bill was asked to speak at a lot of different places. <laughs> Excuse me. And I think that, that those things are possible, but we have to be very careful one of the things that they really talked about in this in this uh, tradition was we have to be careful with video films and that we shouldn't do those. That's not a good thing. Uh, you know, CDs or tapes or whatever they were, but maintaining anonymity when doing that, I think that's extremely important. And uh, from and I because I our our whole society and all the societies involved that are using it rests upon us doing that. And under the last sentence is so big in this. It's in the it's the same sentence in, in the twelve and twelve as it is in the AA comes of age. We are sure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that Alcoholics Anonymous can ever have. And we can we can dream up all kinds of other things, but if we don't maintain that, we're gonna sell out and run this thing down the river and uh well, I tell you what, I do not want to see that happen because I love being able to watch people's lights come on in their eyeballs and for them to get well. Um, for me, I, I've got to watch some, some seriously bad things happen in AA. And because of it, because of loss of uh, humility, and I've watched, I've seen things on TV, I've seen ads on the Internet, and I've seen pictures of people, you know, that are standing there making great statements about AA and uh, and their whole name and their email address and the whole thing is on there. And that is absolutely the things that we are not supposed to be doing. Um, in AA Comes of Age, almost all of AA Comes of Age uh, is pretty well covered in the 12 and 12. Uh, most of it sprang from there. Um, I think on page 134 in AA Comes of Age, it says, um, we are sure that humility, uh, I just read that, it's the greatest safeguard, but on page 135 it moves on. It says, AA can't be run like show business, no matter how, how what the short-term benefits may be. And that, again, is at speed kills. We have to really look things over and draw back. And I wish I had known this this before I way back in my life is boy I used to think oh that sounds good and I just jump at it and 
consequently, I, I paid the price many times uh, through fines and going to jail and all kinds of things. But I, this, this anonymity is such a great thing for Alcoholics Anonymous. And of all people, you know, whatever fellowship we're in, how we always strove to be out there and, and have public adoration or whatever. And uh, here we are trying to teach ourselves and help each other to learn not to do that. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's, um, it's when he, well, when Bill was uh, going on Clinton Street and he thought he was going to become a professional and work in the hospital, in the hospital, they're going to set him up with this. He was going to become a counselor, basically. And so that, that was the time when my group told me I could never become an AA professional. And that was the group, without the traditions in place, they saw it right away that this couldn't happen. They knew that it wouldn't work. And uh, another sentence in that same paragraph on page 136 at the top, it says, After a while, I began to obey because I saw that the traditions were wise and right. Um, well, I conformed because it was right to do so, I still resisted inwardly. Boy, that sums it up for me, too. I really did. Um, a lot of it I resisted, but they were teaching me, and the old-timers, I was wanting desperately to live. And I knew that I couldn't drink, and the only way that was going to happen is do what these people had, had done. And so I was trying to find out everything they did, and I, well, I, I didn't like doing some of it, but I did it because I knew I had to. Later on, after doing it a few times, I realized the reward from it, and it became a lot easier to do. And there's still, today, there's times when my ego wants to run out there and say, yeah, but, and uh, those are, that's a real bad word, especially for a sponsor to hear. It says here um, uh, at the bottom of page uh, 136 that Dr. Bob, uh, just above that last paragraph, says, um, of course, this was a, a well, let's see. When it was sure that Dr. Bob was mortally afflicted, some of his friends suggested that there should be a suitable monument or mausoleum erected in honor of him and his wife Anne, something befitting a founder and his lady. Of course, this was a very natural and moving tribute. The committee went so far as to show him a sketch of the proposed edifice. Telling me about this, Dr. Bob grinned broadly and said, God bless him. They mean well, but for heaven's sakes, Bill, let you and I get buried just like other folk. A year after his passing, I visited the Akron Cemetery where Dr. Bob and Ann lie. The simple stone says not a word about Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people may think that this wonderful couple carried personal anonymity too far when they so firmly refused to use the words Alcoholics Anonymous, even on their own burial stone. For one, I do not think so. I think this is a moving and final example of self-effacement, which uh, will prove of far more permanent worth to AA than any amount of public attention or any great monument. And I and I have to say, this is a, this is another thing that I witnessed when I was a delegate going to the General Service Conference in New York, that there were actually people that were wanting to to put forth the thing and change, go change their stones and put Alcoholics Anonymous on there. They wanted to, to redo a whole bunch of things about that. And when it was their specific request to be buried like other folks, and here, uh, 
that's when the term posthumous anonymity really came up to the forefront. That was in the early 90s. I was a delegate in 92, 93. And, well, I tell you what, there was some serious discussion on that, that, you know, I, for one, I was a firm believer in whatever they said they wanted. And, and in posthumous anonymity, for some reason or other, and this happens quite often, people think that just because somebody died or because other people know them, that they can break anonymity at any time. And, and I have no right to break anybody's anonymity but my own, and I have to be very careful with that, and especially when others can be harmed and it can cause uh, irreparable harm to people that may say, well, this is no good. Look at what he just did, and he, he just put me out in front of everybody. And I have to be very, very careful of that. And especially we need to honor the, the people who requested that they be buried just like other people. Uh, to me, it's uh, one of the greatest things that proves what these these fellows and these ladies back at that time did for us. In this pamphlet, pamphlet P-16, the 8A group, um, the, the thing, there's a few things here I'd like to read. And um, one is that per, down in about the second paragraph here, uh, well, it says that the level of press radio films, radio film, and the internet, and anime stresses the equality in AA of all its members. It puts the brake on our easily inflatable egos, our misplaced conviction that violating our anonymity will help someone, and our desire for personal recognition or control. More importantly, the anonymity tradition reminds us that it is the AA message, not the messenger, that counts. At the personal level, anonymity assures privacy for all members, a safeguard often of special significance to newcomers who may hesitate to seek help in AA, if they have any reason to believe their alcoholism may be exposed publicly, I consider that such a strong statement because I don't care what fellowship we're in. If they have any doubt what's going to happen when they come in there about being, you know, put right out in front of the public or in front of a whole bunch of other people and all their secrets told, we're, they're going to quit coming. They're not going to seek help. They're going to stay away from us like the plague. And what a great injustice that would be um, and I and I just thank God that that these traditions were handed down to us, and they were not a popular thing when they were written up, but they were handed down to us, and they are saving us. I still think today, as long as we adhere to them, um, it says we in the next paragraph down maintaining anonymity at public level. It says we use our first names and last initials only when speaking. It's uh, AA members at non-AA meetings, and it says, speaking at non-AA meetings, see that. We do not put AA on envelopes sent through the mails. Our area here in Montana, we were doing that. We had AA on the envelopes and stuff we were mailing out to everybody. Finally, somebody said, wait a minute, that's breaking anonymity every time it goes through the mail, and whoever's name is on there. We had to change all of that. Um on material uh, to be posted on AA bulletin boards in churches or wherever we go. We can't have first names. We can't have last names on there, breaking anonymity. Um, AA programs that the general public might see. We omit all members' last names and identifying titles such as reverend, professor, or sergeant. We don't get into those things. We have to be so careful with people's anonymity. 
because it may seem okay with this one person, but what it can cause, somebody sitting over there that you're not even noticing, hears it, and then they say something about it, or they quit comment because they don't want to be out in front of everybody. Um, and the last thing in this pamphlet that I really want to read is, uh, it says, we refrain from videotaping that special AA talk or meeting, which might receive exposure at the public level. And as the 1980 General Service Conference recommended, it is wiser that talks by AA members be given in person in view of the temptation when videotaping to place personalities before principles and thus encouraging, thus encourage the development of a star system and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I really, I really believe in that. And with our media, the way it is now, they have a tendency to be a little bit uh, blood hungry. But also on t- on internet and Facebook and all kinds of things that are out there where people's names are going up and 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 their their identification is being compromised. And we have people that are very eager to to share with other people, and they lose. They have no no idea what the history of traditions and the history of AA is about and the history of all the other fellowships. That I consider a, a very, um, it's a duty, and, and I, I welcome that duty to make sure that I do all I can to help inform the newcomers and get them interested in understanding the history and the traditions of the fellowship that's saving their very lives, and so that perhaps they can pass it on. Uh, I know that because the reason that I'm sober today is because of people who did that very same thing, men and women, who were very lovingly blunt with me in explaining some of my shortcomings, that they also showed that anonymity counted and that I was equal. No matter how long they were sober and how, how short a time I had been sober, I was equal. I, and I, I felt very welcome. And I try to make that something that I try to, to uh, put forth to people who are coming through the doors. Um, I think I've got covered most of my mis- well, no, I even come close to covering my mistakes. But uh, what I would like to do now is uh, possibly, and before we get started into this next, uh, you know, the questions and answers and people uh, having, you know, saying something they want to say, I want to tell you what a privilege it's been for me to be able to do this and talk about the traditions and be involved in this. And don't ever, please never feel that there's such a thing as a stupid question or a dumb question. That's the one that never gets asked. I really enjoy having people ask me questions about things I said because it makes me look at it from a different view. And some, and I learn a whole lot from that too. So never feel like you're imposing or that you're, you're going to hurt my feelings. They've been hurt plenty of times. I've hurt a lot of others, and I try not to do that. But you're just not going to hurt my feelings. I I take this as a as a very learning thing here, and I can learn from you as every bit as much as you can learn from what I've been saying. Any questions or comments? Hey Bob, it's Kim in Nashville. Hey, uh, I'm kind of on board with uh, trying to keep people's anonymity, including my own, including good people. Um, what I'd like you to tell me is, is what conditions you find it commonly acceptable to be um, use every syllable of your last name. Um, for instance, in uh, my home group, it's not very large, but 
still, there happened to be quite a few Joes in there. And in a business meeting, we're trying to figure out who everybody's talking about. And um, uh, there there are plenty of times when it's okay for me to be ask my first name and my last name and be who I am. Or if you're early in a closed meeting, I introduce myself my first name and my last name. But um, having heard all the do nots and, and, and should think twice about ever doing this or doing that, what are the times when we're, we've got free and clear carte blanche to call it for We're not. I'm losing the last part of what you're saying there. So when is it okay to not be anonymous? Okay. First off, before I forget it, one of the things that I would highly recommend is the pamphlet that, that, uh, Dr. Bob talks a lot about it, is understanding anonymity and Dr. Bob's statements on anonymity. And he believes that we can be too secret. And when when people are in the in the room and they are, you know, they're new there and all they know me by is Bob, it's pretty hard to look up Bob in the telephone book if they want to get help. Therefore, at our group, we have a we have a, a phone list that we have a guys list that we hand out to guys and a women's list that we hand out to women. But if somebody wants to use their full name in a meeting, that's within AA, not an open meeting, but a closed meeting within AA. Then we can we can break our anonymity, and and that's a, but it's a personal choice. If there's people who do not want their last name out there, no matter what, that is absolutely their privilege. They should never be looked down on. We have lots of nicknames we hang on people. I used to be called Fireman Bob because we had Plumber Bob and Peg, Peg Leg Bob and. And we had all kinds of, oh, Lawyer Bob. We had all kinds of Bobs when I first came in. And and in the fellowship, people make up nicknames for you. And they hang them on you because they had, a, they had trouble distinguishing between them. Because a lot of people weren't throwing their last names around. And I still don't, but I, tell, but I you know, a lot of times when I'm at a meeting, uh, an AA meeting, I will, after I saw I'd say, you know, I didn't just introduce myself as Bob and an alcoholic because... For some reason, I can't remember not to say my last name if I'm speaking at a at a deal that's in, in the public eye. And I, I did that once, and boy, I had to change how I introduced myself. But later in the talk or at the meeting, I tell them, you know, if you want to know, you know, I, my name, my last name is is, you know, whatever it is, and I will, uh, and I let them know what that name is, and I I make sure that they understand that, that they can call me. And that's the last thing, but we're in an AA meeting. We're not out in the public. That's nothing that's going to be publicized. Does that help? Hello? It helped me. Oh, <laughs> I, just, I thought I lost everybody. I don't know what happened to Tim. We might have uh, gotten disconnected. Well, his, his... Yeah, I muted myself so I could make some noise. Thank you, Bob. Oh, yeah. And, um, so, hey, okay. I, I like to... I'd like to make the request for you to consider that something I'm interested in. Now that we're at the end of the 12 traditions, I wonder if you would consider giving us your time to go over the concept. Maybe not one concept a month. I don't know how much time you think you could be devoted to that. But I'm intensely interested in hearing your experience uh, uh, watching the concept at work in the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, 
Well, I tell you what, I would consider that a great honor, and besides that, it would drag me right back through them again. And sometimes I have to be drugged, you know, I, and, and to get right into them and study them and talk about them. Dragged or drugged? <laughs> well, let's say dragged. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave the drug out of it. That's a whole different thing. Uh, but for me, I would consider it an absolute honor. We could take a good look at that, and we could talk about that some, and um, you know, at a different time, and and decide how we might want to do that. Whether it's one at a time or a couple of times. Some of them are quite lengthy and do require a lot of, uh, of you know, just looking at them. We read one concept every month in our in our group. So on, like in January, we read the first concept at every meeting all through January. Then in, in, in February, we'll read the second concept at every meeting during in February. And at least the people in the group are getting introduced to them. But it's a most amazing thing to watch people try to read those concepts. Because so they read the big book and they read the traditions and stuff. When they go to reading some of those concepts, which can be quite lengthy, they, when they finally get through it, they look up like, what did I just read? And I think it's really important. Those concepts are are so great for our structure, but also for me as an individual. So that's something we can talk about. I was at a meeting once where where we tried to read all 12 concepts at the meeting, and about everybody in the meeting was ready to leave before we finished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we only read one tradition and one concept every month that, that coincides with the month that we're in. In that way, because a lot of times when you're reading all the traditions, you can see the eyes glaze over and people start going to the bathroom and everything else because they know what's coming next. So we shorten that up. And everybody kind of gets peaked as to what's coming. And it's only one a month. But we learned that out east at the meeting I was at out there. Hey, Edward, I wanted to make that comment. Sure. Um... In this discussion, in particular, talking about video uh, production, it seems reasonable to me that, uh, and I understand it better now, that when images are being created and videos being used and images are blown up, magnified, it really appeals to sexaholic uh, intrigue and the opportunity to, you know, get that uh, ego. Uh, boost from being out front stage. So, uh, I can see how being a part of having images made is real dangerous for me as a lust addict. Well, I can sure appreciate that because of a lot of the people that I've gotten to know in the SA Fellowship. And, uh, believe me, I, I went to the wrong website one day <laughs> for SA and whoa, was I shit. I was taken aback and I had to contact contact my good friend Steve and ask him, what the heck was that? <laughs> and he pointed out, no, that's the wrong one. Don't tell anybody. You know, don't put that out there. But uh, you know as well as anybody that out there on the Internet, I mean, so much is available and it's detrimental to about anybody. But I think that the videos are very harmful, even I don't, in AA. In, in AA or any place, I think they would be very detrimental for us. Um, there's just a few that I know that were made four AA that were supposed to be shown within AA, and one was Bill Wilson telling his own story, and he's at Stepping Stones, and Lois is there with him. And he goes through his whole story, and then they go in the house, and uh, 
and he goes in there and he has a cup of coffee and they keep talking and and it and it was just a it's for him but it was not meant for out there public domain and the same thing with the uh, talk on the tradition. I think we always have to be so considerate and so careful. And as I have learned in essay, it's very, very, uh, really got to take our time and really move slowly with all of that stuff and really consider it and talk about it at length. It should be never be a hasty decision. And then as a person finds out in, in Concept 12 about substantial unanimity, which is at least two-thirds and sometimes even up to 75%, depending upon what the group chooses. Well, the other thing I wanted to bring out and make mention of in our expanded uh, uh, explanation or definition of Spidey definition, the statement made in there that as a sexaholic with all uh, spiritual misconnections, uh, and happen. And uh, I think that's connected with this image stuff and, you know, idolatry. You know, that, that, again, greed, the feeling or wanting to be noticed, recognized, it gets me high. So to stay away from images, to not have, have my whole face uh, displayed, that, that's the stuff of humbling me and keeping me out of being lifted up and made more important than I am. I really need to uh, be one of and, and, and emphasize the sense of uh, everybody's uh, equal in unity. I, I tend to struggle with that, and uh, this discussion is helpful to me. Well, I'll tell you, the unity of the, um, like the unity that it talks about in Tradition One, that's one of the, the that's one of the overwhelming things is that the group comes first before the individual, and sometimes individuals get carried away with stuff and they think, no, no, but it's the group, and we have to maintain that group so that there's something there for other people to come there and get well. And we can really endanger that. And I think, I think videos could be a very, very slippery slope to even get near. Um, because as Bill said, when he, when he does his talk on the traditions about that invitation to do the, the front of time life, when, when they asked him to be on there, he, he saw into the future. He saw it clear as a bell. And I know God gave him that vision to see that it would be no time. People would start turning their heads more and more towards a full face on. And then just going at it in the in the news, and we've all seen that from several people uh, out in the media, you know, in the in, the, in papers, um, the uh, whatever they call those magazines in the grocery stores and for television and everything. We have to be very very careful. This is a God given thing, and it saves lives. We have to remember that it's not about egos. It's about shrinking the ego and helping other people to live. Anybody else? Or did that answer that? Yes, thank you. You bet. Bob, when you talk about the long form of the 12th tradition, the spiritual significance, I mean, personally, um, how has the concept of anonymity helped you as you get closer and closer to your higher power, um, get closer to achieving that genuine humility where you spend more and more of your thought life Thankful contemplation of God. Well, the one thing that that has really been such a blessing for me is that I, you know, I I have a mouth and it is capable of speaking, and I've had problems in the past of of uh, restraint of tongue, and uh, 
it's gotten me into jams, and I've learned a lot from that. And through the practice of these principles in this program, the humility that comes from just not trying to step out there and take credit for things and, 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 and trying to say, well, I did that, and I brought this about, and it's all because of me, and, or hooking my name onto certain things. I, I have learned, and this is something that I thank God for, I have learned how to be so grateful for just being a part of rather than being apart from. I get to be part of the bunch. And, and I always wanted to stand out because I had such an inadequacy problem and, you know, I felt like I was not good enough. So I always tried to stand out, which I did, and the cops had picked me up. But in this, I have learned that I get to be part of and just being a part of it is so important. And I learned that one of the big things that I learned was at the General Service Conference in New York that when you get put onto a committee there, you don't get put onto a committee there because of your knowledge and because of your experience and your and how informed you are about the the, the committee you're on. I was put on uh, on the literature committee, and it wasn't because of what I knew about literature. I was put on there simply to be a voice from a certain area in AA, and it wasn't picked by area, but it, I, I brought a voice and a vote to that spot. And I was actually just my area, Montana, I was their donation to the voice of the conference. And that really, really helped me to understand. And when I got into that and the old-timers were talking to me and the people that had been to the conference before, they explained it so well. I'm just a voice. I'm there to bring forth the stuff that our area knows about, but also listen carefully to what's presented and be willing to change my vote if it's if I've learned more than what they what we knew back there where I'm from. And learning that stuff and then having to go back and report why I voted a certain way on everything. I kept track of everything how I voted and I reported back on because I'm responsible too. And uh it those are the things that have helped me grow and made it easier for me when uh, when I'm not involved in that ego, EGO, easing God out, when I'm more when I'm more open to listening to God and I ask Him for all kinds of uh, help, one of the a prayer that I was taught early on when I'd have an opportunity to speak is before I get up to speak, I I pray and I ask God. I I just tell Him, you know, you know where all the tapes are in my head. I'll just take the mouth up there and you run them, and I really turn it over to God. And then I learned another prayer. As soon as I was done speaking, because my ego wants to do this, I wanted to start correcting everything God just had me say. And I learned another prayer after I sat down was, God, please help me not critique what you just had me say. I just have to let go of it. It's done. I can't bring it back. I just have to do that. And those are things that were brought to me through this program to put me in closer contact to my higher power. And today, you know, I... I I pray a lot, and I, you know, each day begins with prayer, and each day ends with prayer, and I, it has helped me so much to be out of myself. And and there's people that knew me from before that they just they just can't hardly believe it. I was at a Christmas party for AA um, over here at our group in Huntley, and there was a gal there that I graduated from high school with, and I took our annuals, our graduation annuals, and over there, and we were looking through them. And she says, you know, I knew who you were in high school, but there was no way I was going to get near you uh, because you were one of that bunch, that rowdy bunch. And now we're really good friends in AA because 
I'm more approachable because of what AA has done, and that is only through this program that I know God gave to this to, to all of these children here on Earth. He just happened to use AA because we happened to be in so many places, and we were such giant hind ends in the public and everywhere, and that you figure, well, if people can see these guys get well, then maybe they'll think they could use it for whatever is really hurting and killing them. And I believe this thing was God-given. Uh, AA just happened to be a conduit through which it went. And I'm just thrilled to be part of it. Just like I'm thrilled to be of service to Efe. Man, am I learning a lot. It's, uh, it's one of the most amazing things. And uh, I just... I'd love being a service instead of being a pain in the hind end. Well, first I had to do that anyway. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah. Hey, Bob, I, I, uh, I appreciate all your... Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I had a... You know, we talked about, um, um, you know, anonymity in that day and I think it was and you kid around and say, well, you don't have to worry about breaking anonymity. People feel uh, a lot of shame and um, the temptation to uh, talk about sexual sobriety uh, in public or in, in places outside of SA is less than in AA where, you know, they stigma of being an alcoholic, I guess, is less than being a sexaholic. On the other hand, I know a lot of people who have broken, who have told their stories in church uh, and all that. But um, just on that point, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, for instance, in my AA group, I'm also, as you know, a member of AA, and uh, I don't talk about sexual sobriety, although... Um, a lot of people at the meeting at my AA home group know that I'm in SA. And, you know, whenever problems other than alcohol come up, I kind of get the feeling that they're looking to me for, you know, to see will I make some statement on relationships and the dangers of relationships and things like that. I often get kind of self-conscious. And, but on the other hand, I, I don't say anything. And, um, I, I have broken my anonymity to people who have, you know, openly talked about having a problem. And uh, as I see it, it would be a violation of the tradition to be silent in situations like that where, you know, they made it public. And then I can, you know, say, well, I, you know, approach them after the meeting, for example, and uh, I have broken my anonymity. But I was wondering, did you have any thoughts on that? Do you think that these should be kept separately and uh, protected and to what degree and um, all that. Some of it, I, I'm asking this because it comes, I don't know, is it from self-centered fear or is it a, I kind of use the anonymity alibi, but on the other hand, I do, um, you know, I, I just don't want to get into any discussions on sexual sobriety in AA. I just, um, I avoid that, and uh, I don't know, as a someone who is very closely associated with both fellowships, now yourself, I wonder to Germany, 
thoughts on that? You know, when is it when is it a violation of the traditions to shut up? And when is it a violation to uh, speak up? Well, that's a great great question, and uh, it's been the most amazing thing last uh, year and a half. Uh, July will be two years that I've been involved in, <laughs> and it's. <laughs> Right here at my home, a, a, a couple came by to visit me one day, and, and I served in the service structure with him. And I, I just happened to mention to him, because we were just here, us, and I know him really well, him and his wife. And I mentioned the fact that I, I had been asked to, to serve F.A. And they both looked at me, and they said, really? And I said, yeah. And she says, well, he has a problem with that. And I looked at him, and he says, yeah, I do. Well, I was able to, to hook him up with some literature and stuff and, and gave him the opportunity to find out where there's meetings in that. I also have met people in the meetings that I knew were involved through word of mouth from other people, but I never approached them on it, uh, but they were already involved in, in uh, SA. And there's, uh, I think there's SLA here too. But, um, and SA is what I, I, the one that I'm involved with and that I, probably can speak to a little bit more. But uh, for me, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and this is any fellowship that anybody would be in, in AA, we've been having a real large problem of of, uh, of the dilution of the, of the message because people mm-hmm. come in there and identify with all kinds of things. Right. And actually, all that in AA, our traditions point this out, and that AA is for alcoholics. And and if you can have a myriad of other problems, but if you're an alcoholic, you're welcome at that meeting. But we only discuss our, we relate to our problems as, we discuss our problems as they relate to alcoholism. We don't get off and talk about uh, drugs or anything else. And that's because the newcomer coming in with an alcohol problem needs to be able to identify with the people sitting in that room. And I believe so wholeheartedly that in essay it's the same thing. How how hard would it be for somebody to come into SA and even begin to have a glimmer of hope or begin to want to share if a whole bunch of people in there weren't didn't have the same problem or didn't identify that well? Or that there's people there from all kinds of things and they're very confused when they're coming in there. And I think the clarity of the message that saves people, and I believe this is for all the fellowships, NA and AA and SA and all of them. I have good friends in NA. In fact, I sponsored a guy that I kept telling him, you need to go to NA too. Because there's young people over there dying that have never drank and they need help. You can go to both, but you'll just discuss what you're supposed to at each one. And he's been doing that. And he's a, well, he's a real asset for me because when somebody shows it up at our door, and I never say they show up at our door that AA by mistake. We just happened to show up there because we were more visible. And when they state what their problem is, I know people I can call to get them the help that they need. And I think that's very important. But to just step out in a meeting and start talking about other things, that could be quite, it could be quite harmful. It might make people that you may later on learn about that you can approach one-on-one after a meeting if they said something or you come to find something out. But that's strictly... Your choice. I think um, when we hear somebody that's asking for help, we can do that, but we don't have to do it right out in public. We can do that um, one-on-one later. Uh, but I, I think I have to respect whatever fellowship I'm in. 
I was asked to speak at an Al-Anon, a couple of different Al-Anon meetings. And I spoke, but I related to them just what I was supposed to relate, what they asked me to, and then I shut up. And uh, I I wouldn't try to inflict my my problem into some other in some other fellowship. Um, I know that in SA I use my my experience with AA, but I make it well known that this is my experience with AA, and I've been asked to share that with SA and be available in there. It amazes me that I have contact with people from all over the world asking about how to deal with professionals and they're from SA. And I just relate my experience in, in AA. But I think we have to really make sure God gave us these things for each individual uh, malady, I believe. We can't combine them all together because then pretty soon people who uh, at once they get lost. Hey, uh, yeah, I've got a comment I want to make and just see what uh, the response is. I'm an alcoholic phenomenon also, um, and I've been in closed meetings. Uh, sometimes the less talk is so uh, explicit and, and, and uh, with uh, humor. Uh, it's been a difficult experience for me uh, in a disturbing way. And for me, uh, I, I felt like a time or two in a meeting like that that it was appropriate for me to speak up just to let people know, you know, how I was feeling and to indicate that for me, uh, if I get drunk on lust, it takes me back to the alcohol. So uh, it's sobriety threatening for me uh, to get drunk on lust and then I'd be susceptible to get drunk on alcohol. So I, I spoke up in that case and, and people... Uh, responded after the meeting and, and told me, you know, they appreciated my honesty. But that, that's just an experience I had. I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but that's what I did. Mm. Well, evidently, you know, that's something that you had to do. Uh, I know that in our group, we try to uh, we try to make sure that we, uh, in our group business meetings, we discuss these kinds of things. And that's where it really, it really helps. And our format really helps to explain to everybody what we're there for and what we talk about. And we also um, we we also let them know that it's not necessary to speak in, in profanities to carry the message of God, you know, to carry the message of this fellowship. But I think that one of you know a lot of people have no idea um, what it what it's like to be uh, a member of SA and for for the things that can uh, cause. Dis, you know, a disruption in your in your program by the language used or the description of, and I think it says, you know, in ours we don't have to be that explicit. And there's people within AA that really kind of get a big charge out of being seeing how to, how how shocking they can be, and that isn't what I was taught. I was taught something else by the old timers, and in my home group, that's something that we do not. Uh, we do not encourage, in fact, we encourage people not to do that stuff and not to get so explicit. Just talk about your problems as they relate to alcoholism and um, try to keep it within the bounds. And right now, everything is doing really well. <clears throat> in our group, we've also made a change. This is in AA, though. We've made, a, we've made kind of a change in all of our topics. When, we have, when there's a topic that comes up, first off, we have a chairperson chair of the meeting that is a member of our group 
because then they know how we like to have them chaired. That chairperson picks somebody to pick the topic, and the topic comes out of the big book or the 12 and 12, period. No other readings at all. We finally had to pare that down to just that to keep things on a recovery basis. And also, the place that we're at, there's children go through there during the day and stuff, and there's other people can be there in the evening. And so we make it well known that we don't use profanity here. And uh, I tell you what, our meetings have really, have really taken a leap forward away from where they had, they were starting to go. And a lot of people come back here saying they feel so welcome and they, they feel like they're moving forward in there. And I think that's one of the things we can do as People who've been around for a while, when you hear somebody that's getting a little off track, walk, go up to them after the meeting, not in front of everybody, and just talk to them and use love and tolerance. I have been witness to what uh, somebody comes into a like into AA, and they introduce themselves in a certain manner, and some let's say less than spiritually developed old timer just rips their hind end off. I mean, just embarrassism in front of everybody. And this is something that, this is not love and tolerance. It's going up to somebody after the meeting and not humiliating them and talking to them and explaining to them what we're all about. And and we've had great, great uh, uh, results from this and getting people to the, where they can get the right kind of help. And also, by not being, because we have about a mix of about half women, half men in our group which is really extraordinary. I have, I'd say we're privileged. But um, we try to be very respectful of other people. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Yeah. Did that... Did that... Uh, thank you. That, that's a good comment. It's good. That was very helpful. Thanks. Yeah. I think in there, one of the reasons I ended up uh, putting my... I was asked by Steve to put my name forward for SA. And I said, well, i got to pray about this and talk to my wife. <laughs> and uh, after I prayed and talked to my wife, and then I took some time, and then I prayed, and I talked to my wife again. And, you know, when I was praying, the thing that came forward, every time I prayed, the very same answer kept coming up. It said that we were supposed to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. didn't mm. say alcoholics. Uh-huh. And I consider everybody to be God's children. And however I can be of help to them, I try to be. But I know that part of that is by me helping AA to be AA and by helping SA to be SA mm-hmm. at this point in time. Those are my charges. Anybody else? Nobody else? Hey, there's a question. Donna, how do you start to respond to these upsetting traditions? I don't, well, number one, my own group is called Traditions Group. And that's because they left this other group in a big traditions fight. <laughs> and we got started in the traditions. And what I normally do with, with sponsees is we start through the big book. And this is something I really love is going through that big book a page at a time. You know, right now I'm doing it with a guy two pages at a time. We have a dictionary and a big book out and we're looking stuff up. And when we get through that, we first we have to you know, get through the steps, and I and a quick read of the of the traditions help to keep them out of trouble. You know, around the group and this and that. But then, once we get you know into the steps well, and they're starting to move along and, and mature, and uh, then we start we can start doing the, the traditions, and we just like take a tradition at a time and talk about it and read it and and uh, discuss it. Mm-hmm. 
but then we just moved through those too. But I, I really, number one is getting sober and, and maybe a quick review. I do this with some of them, a quick review of some of the traditions to show them that they're protected and that they're okay and that we're here to serve and help alcoholics get well. But uh, then we'll get into the traditions and really look at them and really study them. The service structure is not for everybody. I got to say that right out. Service structure is not for everybody. Service is. Service structure can be, some people just aren't geared for it, especially when there gets to be a little dissension over a topic. I'm sure none of you understand that. That we get into some rather spirited debates. That's just not for some people. That's the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. And that I really, I really, but service, that's what the 12 step talks about. That's for mm-hmm. everybody. But service structure, you know, some of us not had seem to fit into that a little better and it seems not to disrupt us so much. And you got to have a little sobriety when you get into that, whatever fellowship you're in. You can always be a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, you know the, the uh, preamble is read before the steps and, I tell you, I just, it was all years when I came in and heard the preamble, and that was the thing that stuck with me. Who we are, what we do, what we don't do, and what our primary purpose is and all that. And it's easy to forget that. We just read it automatically, but the preamble is read. The synopsis of the traditions is read before the program of of recovery. (laughs) And uh, easy to forget that. Yeah, it's... uh... It's it's so important, and and you know I always I hear a lot of people talk about the first 164 pages in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's some really critical stuff before that, you know the purposes or the and the uh, especially to the first edition where they really explain you know a lot of that stuff. In fact, right that's where the preamble comes out of is right out of the forward to the first edition, and Doctor Silkwood, yeah. you know, this talks all that stuff. Uh, is so important, and I and I think all of that it really helps that, that the preamble is is so so important that it's read, and we read it before every meeting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, shall we close this with the Lord's prayer? Good idea. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.